Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Nice. Smell that dope when I pass by. Oh. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now, we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. It's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. But honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. Just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So, speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my guest host for today. First with us, we got the Dan the Man, the Duke. What's up? And also with us today, we got Tank. Hello. All right. And for the first time ever, some much needed diversity to this dude fest. We got Lorraine McLean. How's it going? It's not as epic because we've done the four mic thing now, but we're at finally adding a female cast member. So Boo, no girls Whoa. allowed. So say hello to the bad bitch. <laughs> well, today, since the go-to designated beer elitist tank, what do you got today? Oh, right on. I got a beer from <laughs> Brew Detroit. It's called Cloud 19, and it's a double dry hopped New England IPA. It's pretty good. Seven percent. Drinks really, uh, really smooth. It's only, you know, it's not, it's not bitter at all for being an IPA. It's a tasty brew. Nice. Lorraine's trying not to be outdone. I have a beer. It's called Two Women. It's by New Glarus Brewing Company, and it's only in Wisconsin. But I had somebody bring it to me, and it's very good. It's a lager. You said it's good? It's it. it is good. Yep. Well, you guys go local. I go loco. And I'm <laughs> sipping uh, Corona, getting ready to say hola to some bad hombres. <laughs> Word. In honor of this virus, son. So I loved it, man. When I seen that Corona, I was like, that's fucking hilarious, man. I was laughing before you know i didn't want to waste my my excitement before but man that was that was a good one bro i feel I like, like you the, need a brown bag wrapped around that, that choice <laughs> fuck your virus bro drinking the corona i got a ellison brewing company tiramisu stout never had it before but do i like tiramisu yes do i like stouts yes so it's kind of the perfect combination does put those taste? hands together does mm-hmm. it taste like tiramisu a little bit. It tastes. It's more stouty than tiramisu, but I mean that's good. You know, as someone not... who had it not that long ago, that shit's fucking delicious. You had it? Yeah, hmm. it's some good shit. Yeah, he was the first one to break one out on the cast. Does it linger? Hell yeah! Do you have to let it yeah. linger? <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> it's it's like drinking a Cuban cigar. It lingers. So we're gonna go ahead and get started. Oh wait, shit! We gotta do all the house cleaning well, items. Go let's clean this house. <laughs> Uh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Guy Podcast. All the pictures we talk about later, well, at least some of the pictures, will be available on Instagram. And then any emails, comments, questions, uh, recommendations. If you have a guy in mind that you want to hear, send us those emails at say hello to the bad guy podcast at gmail.com. And I want to thank Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. So subscribe to his YouTube channel. We can go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're talking about today is Tony Accardo. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. So Tony Accardo, 
Before we get even, even get started, I'm going to warn you guys, this one could run long. This is one of my favorite guys. Are you sure? Usually the ones I might go short. And that added with the fact that this is one of my all-time favorite stories. He's one of the guys that kind of got me into criminal history. I like him already. One of his AKAs is Big Tuna. <laughs> uh, Tony Accardo, AKA Joe Batters, AKA the Big Tuna. Joey Batters, eh? He, <laughs> he would also be one of the uh, Mount Rushmore of guys that I thought of when I come up, when I kind I wanted to do this show he was one of the first guys that i thought of well i'm not well versed in the mob shit that is your style and seeing that obviously you knew him ahead of time is this one of our more famous ones to date how famous is he in the scale of mobsters i would say he would be more famous than some of these other guys but you would still kind of have to be an aficionado i would say he's a little underground he's the anti-john Gotti, i guess you would say word Tony Accardo was born in the Little Italy section of Chicago in April, April 28th, 1906. His parents had just moved to Chicago a year earlier from Sicily. He's Italian, Italian American. Yeah. Like straight from Sicily to Little Italy, Chicago. Yeah, like as soon as he came to America, he did not assimilate to America. He stayed in Italy. <laughs> so in school, he was always known as an indifferent student. After sixth grade, his dad basically just pulled the plug on that and said, eh, you're, you're not much of a learner. It's time to just go to work. Okay. <laughs> like He's a young kid. He's an indifferent student. Can't really tell if he likes or not. Like, isn't every kid an indifferent student yeah. for a while? Like I, I would imagine. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll be in school, but I mean, I could also be at home. <laughs> I'm kind of indifferent. All like, of his boys are like, wait, so what do I got to do now? Just going to go to school and just act like an asshole? I'm like, what's this thing? And I just love his on? dad's like, well, if you don't care, I don't care. That's pre-helicopter parent. So he's <laughs> sure like, all right, well, then fuck it. Go to work, boy. No, he's Definitely an escape helicopter time. parent. <laughs> he worked as a grocery clerk and he would sometimes deliver groceries. He decided really early on that the grocery life wasn't for him. <laughs> Damn straight. So, he was indifferent. They said he was an indifferent <laughs> yes. grocer. Well, he found something he wasn't too, he wasn't indifferent to, and he joined the Circus Cafe gang. The at Circus? The, we do flips and drink coffee. When they got together, they would hang out at the Circus Cafe, so okay. they were the Circus Cafe gang. That sounds like the cool place to be. Like, if I'm in the neighborhood, like, <laughs> go to the Circus Cafe. That's The Dick's Coney Island boys. <laughs> the Dick's Coney Island <laughs> My whole thing with gang names is the same with, uh... Like, sports teams. Like, if we're just naming them whatever, like, just pick the coolest name. Like, the baddest animal. Why is any team named the Dolphins? Like, in, <laughs> and there are no werewolves. Let's pick some good-ass names, people. The Purple Gang, because it's yeah. my favorite color. Or Cubs. Like, why are you picking a baby animal? Let's pick something. Or hockey teams have the best. <laughs> One's called the Wild. Like, what the fuck is What'd you this? name your team after? The, the one that you'd stand a chance against. The Cub. Right. Yeah. Like, wait, man, I'm not, I'm not scared of that. No wonder you guys ain't win a fucking World We're Series for a billion wings, years. So. <laughs> yeah, I still don't even. On a wheel. No, we're the avalanche. Like we're just naming ourselves after natural disasters now. Yeah, I mean the hurricane, uh, the canes, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, we, we do quite a bit of that. It's either a tragedy that nobody wants to talk about, or our beloved hockey yeah. team. I mean, you know. But that's what I'm saying about gangs. Like, you guys name yourself such weird names. At 14, he joins the Circus Cafe gang, and now it's 1920. And as we all know, 1920, that's that's the year the Prohibition hit, and that was a uh, active time in Chicago. Oh, yeah, that was like the best time to be an up-and-coming gang. Exactly. So a lot of these little gangs, like the Circus Cafe gang and all the local street gangs, they kind of operated as a farm system for the Chicago mob. Once Prohibition hits, 
that's like, you know, everybody's got to go on overtime. You got to do some higher end. So you got to fill them ranks. Now, Ricardo started off small, muggins and pickpocketing, and he uh, moved up to breaking and entering an armed robbery. And he caught the attention of one of the gang leaders, a guy named Jack Machine Gun McGurn, who was kind of a rising star in the in the Chicago underworld. And that's a nickname. Ricardo, <laughs> right off the bat, became his personal driver and bodyguard, and Jack McGurn ran his operation out of a pool hall that was also a wire room. Here, Ricardo basically learned everything he needed to know about gambling from odds making to running games to wire rooms. Now, real quick, because I know what a pool hall is. What exactly is the wire room? A wire room is a, a telegram. So they it used to be called oh, the wire yeah. service. So at a time, pre-results, if you want to gamble, so you could still bet the horses, you could still bet sports, and there was the wire service. So anybody that was running a gambling operation had to get the wire service, which was like a telegram where yeah. they could get all the results. It so was you, like my bookie back in the day. Exactly, of, of the 20s. It was kind of started by Arnold Rothstein, like in the early 1900s, late 1800s to start gambling. Now he's the one that... Uh... Is kind of famous for uh, rigging the... The World Series? Yep. The White Sox, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, yes, that would be the same Arnold Rothstein. That's what a wire room is. You get the wire service, you get all the results. So, any kind of betting, horse betting, stuff like that. Pre-internet, internet. Oh, interesting. Around that time, in the mid-20s, Capone takes over the Chicago outfit. And first thing he wants to do is kind of bring some youth into the operation. So, he brings on Machine Gun Jack McGurn as uh, enforcement. Almost immediately into Capone's reign, he goes to war with the Northside gang ran by Bugs Moran. He had a lot of Chicago's best. He was running the, a lot of the liquor operation and stuff. But the North Side was kind of more upscale neighborhood. And they had like the high-end gambling dens and speakeasies. Yeah, different hustle for the different clientele. Like. Correct. So he wanted in on that. So the first thing he did was he's like, okay, we need to bring on some new talent. Do you know anybody? And the first name Jack McGurn came up with was Tony Accardo. Okay. Nice. Highly recommended. See, this is one of those, because we talked about before, Al Capone, like all the big names most people know, that even like the good name people, like this guy, you said he's always been one of your favorite, always gets swept under the rug. Yes. Like there's a lot of unknown guys that are like right there in the thick of the action that you've never heard of. Well, he, I think he, he might be good. We haven't heard of him getting caught up in the clink for nothing little or big yet. You know what I mean? So that's probably why he's, I mean, I'm, a, I'm assuming why he was recommended so highly because he's, he's good. He's not getting caught. You know, you said he's, he's, uh, he had a, he had some diversity in his uh, skill set when you were mentioning his crimes, even though they were kind of low level. So he's a, he's a guy that really. Uh... You know, he worked every he worked every position on the way up. He started off in the mail room. You, you know what I mean? He swept the mm-hmm. floors. He he, okay. he he did all the he did all the gangstering on the way up. And now he's getting called into the main office. <laughs> getting, 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 call getting, a call, getting a call to go to the yeah. show. Right in the middle of that boardroom meeting because it sounds like he got hired in like right when the action's about he to He should hit. only be in eighth grade right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's not so indifferent about this. I just started a gang with my buddies at a diner a couple years yeah. ago. <laughs> We just like the circus and coffee. Next thing you know, we're working for Al Capone. <laughs> His first job with Capone as, was as a lookout, but he co- quickly moved up to security. And on September 20th, 1926, when Al Capone was eating at the Hawthorne Hotel and Restaurant, there was a famous drive-by shooting where a caravan of eight cars shot hundreds of rounds in volleys into the Hawthorne Restaurant, attempting to kill Al Capone. Now, there's stories out there that say thousands 
but kind of based on the math, that's kind of impossible, even with Tommy guns. Well, who's doing the exact counting? Like, hundreds sounds the way more grader. plausible. Yeah, <laughs> they're just adding zeros and shit. Right, when, when a caravan of cars is shooting Tommy guns in yeah. intervals... It, it was thousands, wasn't it, Joey? There was <laughs> dozens of cars. Yeah, anywhere from twelve to thirty thousand. I don't know. It was for, forever for, for like straight up eight cars to just come through like right in a row, like a little parade of gun bullets. Like I just said, gun bullets <laughs> <laughs> of of gunny McShooters are coming Wait, through so the windows. How many innocent people were killed? Uh, several people were wounded. Nobody was killed. Now, that was such a shitty. Like I'm, I'm fucking disappointed in that caravan of the worst murder. shot ever they don't kill nobody they just injure a bunch of it how do you miss with thousands of gun bullets this is like medieval war where they just like well aim the arrows kind of up and on an angle and we're just gonna shoot a fuck ton of them and they're probably gonna kill a couple of dudes over there <laughs> were those so- stormtroopers oh. <laughs> like, that's why machine gun got his name because he could actually hit people well at this point the bar's pretty low so <laughs> yeah that's crazy just wounded because soon as she didn't even say did innocent she's like how many innocent people got like not a single one just people <laughs> not a one. that's crazy like I'm... maybe they had the best brick buildings ever hey let's go down to the armored cafe <laughs> <laughs> where I'm nobody ever for... dies nobody dies the not bullets... in the mood for clowns today Cardo was next to him at the time and he threw him down when the shooting started and laid on top of him wow. and then when that was done Capone instantly was kind of like, hey, the new- off of me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he was like, well, the new kid's my new guy. I mean, like, clearly. Yeah. You're my boy, Blue. This is, uh, boy, yeah. this is, uh, this is Joey B- Bulletproof Vest. I mean, Joey Bats. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you, you. You're with me forever. That should be his nickname, <laughs> Bulletproof Vest. This is Jackie Human Shield. Over right. <laughs> He then became Capone's personal driver, bodyguard, and enforcer. Yeah, now he's just his right-hand little little dude. He's, uh, what's the Chinese dude in the James Bond film, the famous one? The Random Task. Uh, odd Job. Odd, odd job. job. Random Brand Task job. is the Austin <laughs> Powers one. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Okay, in all fairness, which one is more ridiculous? That's They're true. the same. For the record, Random Task in the Austin Power movies, that was played by ex-UFC fighter Joe San. Who is now serving life in prison? Oh, no bad guy. For hitting someone with a shoe? Damn, no shit. Can yeah. he be next week's guy? <laughs> no. That's a bonus bad guy. Just go Google him. I, I will say this in his UFC fight. Keith Hackney beat him by because this was pre-rules by uppercutting him in the balls like 15 times, which now based on why he's doing life in prison was kind of a f- fitting pre-karma. So, oh okay. So, so fuck Chosan. All right. All right. But I'm following you. So at this point. He's Capone's personal driver bodyguard. He's 20 years old. Well, he started when he was 12, so. Right, yeah. <laughs> right now, he's a veteran. Yeah, young in age, but old to the game. Yeah. Capone was like, get off me, big tuna. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's where that came from. Right now, he's a little guppy. <laughs> Tony Accardo was, he's commonly said to have been a shooter in the hit crews on both the Frankie Yale hit and the St. Valentine's Day massacre, but there's never been any evidence to prove that, but there's been no evidence to prove any of them. Like those are just unsolved murders. I thought you were about to say, but there's no proof that he didn't do it. (laughs) We're going with that whole line of logic. That would also, I guess by that case, we could attribute a lot of stuff to him, but these are both kind of uh, hits that is common knowledge that people say that he did, but they're both unsolved crimes. They asked him in one interview, were you there? He said, I'll never tell. (laughs) 
after the St. Valentine's Day massacre, well, right before it happened, Al Capone went out of town, kind of as uh, an alibi. Well, he definitely wasn't in town for that big murder we planned. So while he was gone, a handful of guys, uh, Albert Anselmi, John Scalise, and Joseph Gunta, had kind of started working on their own little private coup while Capone was gone. Oh, shit. See, the second he walked away, I was like, now's our chance. Well, word got back to Capone. So when uh, Capone was back in town, what he did was to get it. He took his all gang together. He went to his, uh, Hammond, Indiana, as a hotel. He threw like a big get together, kind of a celebration, like a we won the war. Let's all get together. And while they were there, guys came in and pulled out Scalise, Anselmi, and Gunta and took them behind the building. Tony Accardo beat them to death with baseball bats. So Whoa. they were like human pinatas at the party? Joe Batter, huh? Ooh, I like that connection. That's how we got Joey Batter. If you've ever seen Untouchables, the scene where Robert De Niro as El Capone beats the guy with a baseball bat at the table is kind of based on the the events of that day but they didn't really do it at the table and it wasn't him it wasn't al capone but that's kind of where that story originates from okay yeah i remember that scene it's crazy because they had to have purposely like brought them to that part because it's a party to celebrate they won the war so that was like seriously like uh and we get to smash these guys for being traitors like that really was a celebration beating like a kid's birthday party. Like, what are you gonna? What are we gonna do tonight? Like, well, we're gonna go to this restaurant. We're gonna have a bunch of food, and we're gonna beat the shit out of three traders behind the building. We're gonna watch Joey Bats fucking. That's the day surprise parties were invented. <laughs> <laughs> and that's today's story about the invention of the surprise party. There you go. What it was, the reason he did that is, you know, once th- you know, if you got three gangsters, kind of putting something like that together. If you just call a meeting where the three of them are or something, that gets, you know, kind of sounds the alarm real quick. So he was trying to come up with something real casual, how you could get all these guys together. Right. But without... Hey, come on over. We're having a barbecue. Come on over. Have a few cigars. <laughs> well, he's, a couple, this clown's just inviting couple... us to his get-together, even though we're trying to take over his operation. He doesn't know shit. Come on. Just a couple of dudes. Do what dudes do. Oh, you know, just hey, Joey Bats, how's it going? Come Come on, we're over here in Indiana. Who doesn't like Indiana? Hammond, Indiana. Nothing bad's going to happen in Hammond. Come on, it's a hotel party. We run it off the second floor, dude. Come on, indoor pool. (laughs) Come on, man. We're all hanging out. Fucking dude fast. What is that corona doing to you? (laughs) Come on, man. We can hang out. We're totally not going to beat you up for trying to betray me or nothing. (laughs) What? That sounds ridiculous. Come on. What? what? No, we're going to play a game, you know? Just dudes playing home run derby. Come on down, guys. It's no big deal. Just a pickup game of baseball. Yeah. After after the Scalise murders, Capone was quoted. After the Scalise murders, Capone was quoted as saying, boy, this kid's a real Joe Batters. Ooh, oh, I you fucking The name Joe Batters stuck with him the rest of his mob life from oh, then yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, when it comes from when it comes from a place like that, when it comes from Capone, say, yeah, I mean, that's right. not a nickname you throw to the side. Well, when it comes from beating a man to death, and they give you the name like three. Well, what are they gonna give me a nickname later because I parked the car well? Like, <laughs> no, they're gonna stick with that one. And but, I would definitely choose Joey Batters over Joey Human Shield or Joey Bullet <laughs> Big Bass. So. Yeah. It's definitely his best feat so far. In 1931, after Capone was convicted of tax evasion, he was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Frank Nitti became the boss of the Chicago outfit. He immediately had a meeting, and Ricardo was promoted to capo. 1931, that would have made him 
1906. So yeah, 25 years old. So, now how? Because I'm not familiar, and of course we don't have to get into it too much. But this new guy took over. That was like a good succession from Al Capone. Like it was a normal. Like it wasn't a coup or nothing. Just no. That that was the underboss. So that was Capone's number two. So Capone got locked right. up, and Frank Nitti was the natural succession. Yeah. All right. Capo at 25, boy. That that like got me excited, man. I was like, damn, man. Imagine that shit. 25 <laughs> and being made like that. Yeah. Back in those times, man. That was that was in the criminal world. Not much higher you could go. Oh, right. I mean, All you gotta do is beat beat a guy to death with a bat. Well, and, and his gun. friends. Yeah. yeah and, right. his friends. and hug a mobsters. Try to save a famous mobster life. Some and of the last guys covered though have been dead by twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, he's he's got the he's got the juice, whatever it is. I mean, we still haven't heard from I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but we still haven't heard from him getting caught up for anything. There's guys that any aren't even made. Like twenty five is young to get made let alone young to be a capo but i think it's kind of like like during wars they call battlefield battlefield promotions i see what you're saying you know what i mean the chicago prohibition wars when he started his gang at 14 was 1920 when prohibition started so you know what i mean that's like starting you know world war ii on day one like all of his superiors are just getting thrown in jail left and right or getting capped yeah, and but that was that was also right place, right time, too, because a big part of it was the fact that he was there when that drive-by happened, and those people couldn't aim worth a fuck, so he just jumped on Huggy Bear, saved his <laughs> life. There was one of those things, like, in Mario, where, you, like, you lucked out, hit the right tube, and you just skipped a few levels. Mm-hmm. Like, he just got... Because as soon as he did that, Al Capone's like, this is my right-hand man. How are you not gonna leap over? And that's all he did. He didn't run any other crew. He didn't work his way up in a fan. He straight drove was his security this is actually like his first real mob job other than being al capone's like security guard it's kind of like in a uh, game of thrones when they made john snow his personal assistant or whatever yeah you know what i mean like yeah i know you think you want to be a ranger and go out to war or whatever but no i need you right next to me and under me and you're going to learn the lessons because we're going to fly you through this because you're going to be you know but also not to take anything away because like john snow if you're like that dude that means he was good at his job obviously and did the right so not saying like he just skipped like bought his way through but that definitely is a giant leg it's been a good we've had a good 10 year you know eight nine year run so they would have figured out if it was all hocus pocus by now well i mean he beat a man with (laughs) the baseball bat dude that's that's three three homies with a baseball bat that takes some Uh, that takes some want to you know what i mean man like that takes some want to (laughs) yeah bro (laughs) a little bit of want to i mean i mean if if you haven't done something like directly to my to me or somebody i love then it's gonna be hard for me to muster up the gumption to whip your ass with a baseball bat until you die let alone times three and two of them seen it coming yeah (laughs) well i don't know if they they didn't say that uh joey bats restrained him too i'm assuming there's a couple dudes holding them back or they were tied up or something they were in another room and like they were hanging out like Oh, dude, come check this out. Dude. We're giving you gifts separately. And then he comes back, hey, no, we were hanging no, out. Capone Just wants to thank you personally, too. <laughs> oh, this is ketchup. We were eating hot dogs. You were there. We were having the barbecue. There's a fresh other. This is ketchup. We were barbecuing. So, Cardo was made a capo of a small gambling crew, and he was made young, and where his professional life was going good, he also, in 1934, uh, at a downtown nightclub, he met a chorus girl named Clarice Pordansny, and they were married in Crown Point, Indiana. 
Two years later, they adopted a son named Anthony. And he decided early on that a quiet family life was integral to the success as a mobster. And one thing he said, he thought that Al Capone was too flashy and too outwardly violent. And it was something that he blamed on him being a Neapolitan Italian. He thought that's not Sicilian. I'm a Sicilian and we don't act like that. We do our violence quiet. You know, we do our violence sneaky and we don't be flashy. He developed quickly from a ruthless enforcer to like a really good businessman. And he believed in kind of running his mob operation like a business. He said it was more important to look at the big picture. And a quote from Frank Nitti was that Tony Accardo had more brains for breakfast than Capone had in his whole life. He's got a he's got a lethal combination if he's if he's that smart and the people around him reference that because I mean obviously he's willing to do the dirty, dirty work, but he's smart enough to where He's made it to Capo at 25. He's well regarded in the in the crew. So I mean, this guy's got like when it comes to mobster shit, he's got all the tools. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to think of the phrase. He has more brains for breakfast. Like this is a satisfied zombie. What do you mean? <laughs> he has a bunch of brains for breakfast. What That's what I'm this? saying. For him trying to yeah. say that he's much smarter, but saying it in a very dumb way. Like That's apparently like, he's had more brains for breakfast than you, also Frank Nitty. Because yeah. <laughs> who has brains for breakfast? That's not how you get smart. <laughs> <laughs> you read things and i see me i kind of actually like those kind of di- those kind of disses because it's like it's not like oh and like he didn't say like capone was a dumb fuck and uh joey bats was a smart guy you know what i mean he was like he he, he kind of like gave it to him like like somebody would tell capone to <laughs> like, come on are you kidding me he's got more brains for breakfast than you had your whole life you know yeah, what i mean he just he told he's like tim taylor like when wilson tells him something and then he goes <laughs> tells you, like it's almost there you get what he said but there's like it's not quite there he doesn't just, know how to say it <laughs> once prohibition dried up in 1933 that was a huge cash cow that the mob lost so he was trying to find uh another way to bring in some money and he, you know, the mob had always had some success in labor, uh, labor racketeering. So that was, you know, that was kind of a mob right Working and the, the unions and shit. Correct. He found a guy named Tommy Malloy, who was the president of the local 110 projectionist union. And what Tommy Malloy would do is he would threaten the theaters for a portion of their money or else he wouldn't send projectionists and they couldn't play the movies. That's so it's crazy that they had such a monopoly project. That's something we don't even think of, but projectionists. So Frank Nitti loved Tommy Malloy's racket. So doing what my bosses do best, he said, hey, that's a great racket you got there. Why don't you let us in on it? <laughs> that's what mobsters always that's what we talked about on the Teddy Rowe one that's like the mobster rule they just come like in like Chicago way yeah. hey that's a that's a good little scam you got how about uh you let us in give us money for it so Tommy Malloy tells him to fuck off Frank Nitti basically went to Tony Accardo and was like look and I get it you're a capo and you got your own crew now but I kinda I don't need Tony Accardo the capo I need Joe Batters I need you to take care of this thing so Tony Accardo and a driver pulled up next to Tommy Malloy during the day in the middle of Chicago and shot him up with a Tommy gun. Oh, he's stealing other people's nicknames now? He put down the bat and now he's machine gun? <laughs> with Tommy Malloy dead, Frank Nitti took over the union as a reward for taking care of it. He put... <laughs> they let him beat another guy with the bat. Celebration! <laughs> he put Tony Accardo in charge of all the gambling operations. Oh. Okay. Damn. So he did it for two reasons, though. For one, Tony was good at it, so he got a small gambling crew and was building it up. And the other reason is Frank Nitti didn't really want to worry about it. So he really had this, he liked this labor racketeering gig, and he wanted to build on that. So he took most of his power and started pushing into labor racketeering. 
once he had the projectionist union, he heard of something that was called the International Alliance of Theater Stage Employees. It's called IATSE. And what IATSE does is they ran the projectionist union, but they also ran the carpenters union, the set designers union, like anything. All the studio shit. All the studio the shit. The best boys, the grips. Exactly. All of it. So what Frank Ninny did was he directed all his attention and all his manpower towards running all these different unions and getting control of IATSE. And once he did, he started holding up Hollywood for money and would tell them that if you don't give us money, we're not going to send our guys. I got all your movies. You ever want to see them again? You give me money. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> they have a picture with a canister, with a gun pointed to the canister of film. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll pull the trigger. People are like, give the mobsters money. We need our movies. I wasn't scared of nobody in Hollywood if I was a mobster, right? Like, yeah. like, like <laughs> come on, Nancy boy. Give, give us money. the money. Give you you want to make your movie, right? Yeah. We've been watching it. Now that this prohibition shit's done, uh, we, we decided we want to take over your business. And uh, no, we're not investing. That's crazy. So while they were building up the, the Hollywood end of the labor racketeering, Ocardo just really built up his gambling operation. And he started finding uh, a lot of success with slot machines. He already had, you know, gambling dens and stuff like that. But he kind of realized you can't start a wire room everywhere, but you could put a slot machine in every bar, every store, every gas station. That's crazy how those stupid little simple ideas. And then he's like, you know, this thing's kind of two foot tall. Kind of throw those <laughs> anywhere. Bam. Now it's a giant moneymaker. So he pretty much focused on building up his gambling crew in his home life. And him and his wife decided to adopt two more daughters. So he's just, how many kids does he have now? Three. Three. Boy and two girls. Word. So he's just picking up kids on the way. The Hollywood extortion scheme was working great for a few years. And uh, <laughs> the Chicago mob made millions and millions of dollars off it. Damn. Until eventually a Hollywood exec kind of said, you know, we could this just, is kind of crazy. This guy's <laughs> running the studio and holding it for ransom. Yeah, he basically said we we could just tell, and that's what they did. So they arrested, they arrested one of his Hollywood. <laughs> they had a big meal like, uh, hey guys, should we just narc? Yeah, let's oh. do that. Let's let's snitch. Eye for tattle. Eye. <laughs> yeah, Oliver. May. <laughs> Shut up, Steve. We're gonna tell. So they told and <laughs> yeah, and they arrested they, yeah. they arrested the Chicago's Hollywood man that was kind of the in-between of the operation, a guy named Nicky Dean. Uh Nicky Dean was indicted and he cooperated with the with the feds. That's so he, another smooth name, Nicky Dean. Nicky Dean. <laughs> so he spilled the beans on everything. So he kind of gave up everything. Spilling the beans. Oh, they they say spill the tea now. Oh. I'm I'm hip. I'm with Who it. Who says that? I, that's the new thing, spilling the tea. you you gotta be up on this stuff, Lorraine. There was no way they could get to Nicky Dean, and he'd already told, so there's nothing they could do, but they still wanted to set the example. At this point, he was going, na 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 On February 2nd, 1943, his girlfriend, Estelle Carey, they found her apartment on fire. When they got the far- when they- Once they got the fire out, they found her beaten, and sh- beaten to death and strangled inside a burnt apartment. What? Accardo was arrested and questioned, but he was never charged. With the murder of Estelle Carey. The damage was already done, and Frank Nitty, the boss, Paul Rica, the underboss, and five other guys in the leadership were all arrested and charged in what's called the Hollywood extortion scandal. Promotion time. Since Frank Nitty kind of concocted this whole scheme, the whole leadership gets together and they said, Look, this was your plan. It was fucked. And, you know, we think you should take the rap. Now, the one thing that was good is since that Tony Accardo 
was given the whole gambling operation. He was the only one of the only guys that wasn't involved at all. Nice. So he wasn't arrested or charged, indicted on that at all. So they all told Frank Nitty, you got to take the rap for it. Now, Frank Nitty had did time once before already for tax evasion, and he found out he was claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic to jail. <laughs> well, at, at, this point, he, at this point, he was 54, and he was in bad health as it was. So any kind of prison sentence would basically be a death sentence. It's 54 is like 85 back in those times. <laughs> well, I mean, especially when you're not living a healthy lifestyle. So they said it wasn't just that he was 54. He was 54 and sick. So if you're already sick, you go to prison, you know, any kind of big sentence is, is kind of a death sentence. March 19, 1943, Frank Nitty walked out to railroad tracks and committed suicide. Claustrophobia is a motherfucker. He said, I'm no Nicky Dean. I ain't snitching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul Rica got moved up to boss. He was already the underboss, so he got moved up to boss. Everybody else was getting indicted. So Accardo moved up to underboss. Process of was... elimination. Yeah. <laughs> what year did you say? Did you have a year on that? 1943. Okay. So it's 38 now, underboss. Yeah, he's just working that ladder. Only like six months later, Paul Rica and everybody else was found guilty, they were all sentenced to 10 years. And Accardo was still officially the underboss, but he was operating as the acting boss. So at 37, Tony Accardo was the acting boss of the Chicago outfit. Wait, you said Accardo is acting pa- as... Paul, Re- Paul Rica's the boss, but months later, he got arrested and got 10 years in jail. So okay. all the leadership is in, in jail. Tony Accardo's, he's the underboss, but he's the acting boss. Or sometimes they would call it the street boss. Once also. again, process of elimination. Process of elimination. He just keeps on lucking out, like keeps on working out to his favor. After three years of working as the acting boss, Rico was paroled, but he was barred from all contact with gangsters as a term for his parole. <laughs> so. Who's on that duty watching him? Uh, Scout's honor. I won't talk <laughs> to none of my old buddies. It ain't even like now where they'd be like, yeah, yeah, you were talking to him. Here's your IP address. Here's all your phone records. <laughs> Joyce down at, at the switch office told us that you wanted to connect to 65472 Greenwood. And <laughs> he's still that's some early telephone uh, jargon there. Yep. So in 1946, <laughs> Tony Accardo took over as the boss of the Chicago outfit. And Rika, who basically was on no contact with mobsters, Remained on board, but kind of as a senior consultant because he could only pass in uh, information through like second parties and shit. Sorry, you guys. They said I can't hang out with you guys anymore. <laughs> we could still pass notes though. Yeah, I I'm still gonna pass see you, you some uh, some some crime uh, some some yeah. crime some mob uh, <laughs> tips through these notes. I'll leave my window open. You guys could throw me messages tied to rocks, <laughs> and I'll read them and I'll throw them back out to you. So now his wife's yelling at him. (laughs) Get away from the window. Oh, we finally found out who's the boss. It was Tony (laughs) the whole time. I knew it. It was never Mona. (laughs) It was always Tony. It was definitely not Mona. Angela stood a chance, but nah. (laughs) Brand new life around the bend. (laughs) All right, what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and take a quick smoke break. Yeah, we are. We're going to refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Hey, thanks for listening. Just real quick, want to ask you to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player and rate us five stars on iTunes. You can also follow us at Bad Guy Podcast on Instagram. We're going to be updating the content on there, and we're going to have all the pictures that we talk about on the show available. 
You can also email us any comments, questions, corrections, whatever. Send it to us at say hello to the bad guy podcast at gmail.com. I know it's a mouthful, but what are you going to do? Don't forget to subscribe to Swaino on YouTube and follow up on social media. Thanks for listening and back to the show. All right. <laughs> you you grab one of these peanut butter beers? Yep. Nutter your business. Yeah. Nah. You guys are getting nutty. You guys are a couple of nutty buddies. I, I wanted to go with uh, something dark, and uh, yeah, this is pretty good, man. I found these. Like, I'd never seen them before, but I was working in Lansing, and I found them at a store there. Figured I'd grab them. I just tasted yours. It was the best thing ever. <laughs> Are those the same beers I had, or no. did I have a different one? You had the tiramisu stout. No, not the other day. No, but the last time when I had the uh, fluffer. Because I had a oh, oh that yeah. was the nutter fluffer one. It was blue. Yeah. It, was it was a, a different peanut based one. That tastes like peanut butter and jelly. That's really good. I like it. I'm back with this peach crown. Peach crown with a splash of cranberry. <laughs> well, I'm drinking Corona too. I guess since the we're all the same one. Well, it's a bigger one. You're a man's man, huh? It's grande. Did you drink a jumbo? That's why. It's a twenty-four. That's why you should have that brown bag around it, so we can't see how little you drink. In 1946, at the age of 40 years old, Tony Accardo was the boss of the Chicago outfit. So the first thing he thought is, so we keep going through all these fads. You know, prohibition was a fad. Made a bunch of money and went away. You know, this labor racketeering was a fad. Made all this money and it went away. So what Ricardo thought is the one thing that's been consistent is gambling. We're going to stick to gambling. And he had a couple plans to grow that business. The first one he came up with is the wire service. Everybody that's gambling, whether you're with me or whatever, anybody gambling has to get the wire service. So why don't we skip the middleman and just provide that? Most of the wire service was provided by a guy named James Regan, who owned the Continental Press out of Cleveland, Ohio. And Tony Ricardo went to him and was like, hey. Why don't we just go 50-50 on, the, on your wire service? <laughs> just, hey, man, you got a good scam here. Yeah. How about I come in? Uh, James Reagan turned him down, and he was shot up in his car. <laughs> driving down the street. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but I, I mean. I, Who would have seen that coming? Yes, exactly. It's just, it's crazy how history just repeats itself. Like, a lot of these mob stories are just. A lot of them are kind of the same sort of, like the specifics are different and everything. They each got their tiny little style, but a lot of it is just, hey, that's cool business. Let us in. No. Oh, well, we're going to fuck you up. Like, oh, pre-internet. Then, yeah. Now and they then, all know. Yeah. Like now everybody's in on that, so now they can't strong arm people as much. <laughs> right. But that's what the mob always done. It's the same shit over and over. He actually, he, he survived the shooting. But he ended up dying of mercury poisoning in the hospital. <laughs> wow. So, okay. And so great. Like, the way people died, like you get shot up, you're cool, you go to the hospital, <laughs> mercury's a medicine, <laughs> you die. Like, what the fuck? Them taking over the wire service was like the first uh, game-changing gambling thing. The second one, he had up-and-coming guy, Sam Giancana, who said, hey, oh, I know yeah. these guys in Bronzeville that are gambling, Teddy Rowe and Ed Jones. Oh, yeah. And, uh... They got a lot of fucking money over there. there Antonio Cardo was like, okay, no outlaw games. An outlaw game means you're either with me or you're paying me. If you're not in my game, you got to at least pay me anyways. 
No one, everyone pays their taxes. Right. So he tells Sam Giancana, okay, well, yeah, bring me that then. And uh, Ed Jones and Teddy Rowe, we covered them on the show before. Yeah. They uh, do not go gentle nope. into the dark night. But Tony Ocardo established that all the gambling is ours and they're for sure gambling. So he gave Sam Giancana his gambling, his old gambling crew, which basically had came up by taking people's gambling stuff. And after an extended fight, they kidnapped Ed Jones and murdered Ted Rowe in front of his house and took over all the Bronzeville numbers game. And they won. It's great. Like, okay, well, we're just going to shoot you then. And they just shoot him. Ed Jones and Ted Rowe business had business in Indiana. So when they took over the Indiana part of the business, banded that all the way across northern Indiana. Off the Ted Rowe business, they expanded to most of Indiana and some of Milwaukee. Damn, they took over the the territories that you don't really associate with the mob. They said, no, you guys can leave uh, Chicago. I'm just going to head out Midwest. We're going to own this. <laughs> like, no, nah, Vegas is too far. We're just going to settle right here. They settled there for a minute, so they took... He wanted to stay away from all the old businesses that didn't work anymore, like uh, extortion and odd racketeering so he's getting with the times he's progressive and he reinvested all that in like vending machines so like vending machines and cigarette <laughs> machines and they'd steal stamps and they'd steal cigarettes and sell them in their machines see that's the same thing hey you know what you can't sell everything out of the back of a truck but just like slot machines you know what you can throw everywhere vending machines yeah, yeah back to back his old you tricks could sell smokes and vending machines too you know, so <laughs> the like, old knobs you just pull yeah, them and the back slides like 12 out bucks at for a pack of smokes at a strip club and shit <laughs> there's a couple and bars you know, around this earlier, still have yeah we know a couple bars that you like <laughs> d4 pack of newports like, no shit uh 18 dollars oh, okay. <laughs> i didn't know that that was still a thing yep. i thought that was outlawed or whatever but well i mean it seems up his alley though because you remember legalities you know, he questioned he didn't like the brutal, like, flashy side of the mob. You know, he's content with making his money slow and quiet. It, it seems like now, I mean, like you said, maybe he's, all the other ones are played or all the other ones are just a risk of rewards not there, you know. But I could see him from the stuff that's already happened, um, vending and, I guess, maybe not small time, but, like, conspicuous crime. Well, I mean, after you beat someone to death with a bat, I mean, once you've seen the mountaintop, where do you go from there? You know what I mean? After that, he's like, you know what? I'm hanging up my, my bat. Let's uh, stop this extortion of the strong arm in. Let's just start throwing venom machines places. Everywhere. Everywhere. But it also goes back machines. to the laundering because you said uh, that was the way that they could uh, put all their stolen shit, all the shit they stole, throw them up in there. Yeah. And then it gets stole. And that's also a cash business. Exactly. Like, if they want to go under the table, no taxes. And since they don't got it, they're not buying their inventory, they're just stealing it. Yeah. Like, it's all under the table. In 1950, there was a senator. It was a senator, Kafauver. Fauver, he had the. He had, he had hearings, Senate hearings, Kafauver hearings. Imagine those, like, <laughs> yeah. campaign ballots. It was Kafauver? I don't know. Vote Kafauver. So this senator has his hearing, right? And uh, <laughs> they're going to look it's at It's a very serious <laughs> hearing with Senator Kafauver. And so they bring Tony Accardo in. He pleads the Fifth Amendment, but he has to go in front of the Senate. The hearings, they end up, they basically decide that there's two criminal powers, underworld powers in, in America. And it was the New York family and the Chicago family. But the difference was New York was bigger, but it had the five families. So that split up a bunch of ways. Whereas Chicago wasn't quite as big, but it was one giant rat. You know what I mean? It was all, yeah. all to one guy. 
Tony Accardo's outfit was the equivalent of the five families. Damn. Yeah, it's a medium pie, but they got all the slices. In the 50s, when uh, casinos went legal in Las Vegas, well, when it, it became, basically was fair game for the mob. Everybody cop right there. It was like open territory. It was like the Wild West in Las Vegas. L- literally the Wild West, yeah. 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 I mean, you figure they, they took like the same mentality. Like, well, this land ain't been explored yet. <laughs> Come out and stake your claim if you think you got the stones. Those good old pioneer days. Don't let the neon lights fool you. They opened hotels. So all the mobs opened hotel in, in Las Vegas at the time. But these other mobs, they had like the Flamingo and the Riviera. And they were like these real big flashy hotels. The Chicago mob opened a Stardust, which was like a regular man's <laughs> hotel. They had like $5 rooms and like nickel slots. And it was kind of a business trick you took from uh, Ted Rowe that you could get more people with a smaller bet, but everybody does it as opposed to larger bets, but not as many people could participate. Yep. And then ended up being the biggest cash cow in Las Vegas. They made so much money off the skim that they had to bring in more people. They had too many gangsters and not enough people like to count the money. It's a good problem to have. Nice. But I mean, that makes sense. Let all the all the people play. You know what I mean? Bring in everybody. Yeah. I mean, especially broke motherfuckers. They've got the biggest gambling problems. They're the ones that are trying to win it big the most. In 1957, the Senate started a permanent investigative panel. It was called the Rackets Committee. 1957 they called tony accardo into the senate again to testify about the mafia he pleaded the fifth 172 times whoa <laughs> the invention of auctions was his room i plead the fifth 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 you plead the fifth plead the fifth 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 coming in plead the fifth i'll decline the answer plead the fifth got the client answer once the client answer twice i plead the fifth sir <laughs> uh, Cardo didn't live like a, a flashy gangster life. <laughs> he liked to uh, he liked to winter in California and golf and game fish. That okay. seems to be his going thing is just, mm-hmm. I like to be behind the scenes. But he's in the start of like all this different shit, but he's still just, I don't know, I just like my family and want to golf. Like the, the nickname we seen earlier, the Big Tuna, that's because he... One time he caught a big tuna and had a picture of it, and everybody started calling him a big tuna. Lame. That's Look not me. Guy. That's the Lame. fish. Look at this guy. What Look do you mean a guy. big tuna? <laughs> Come on. Are you kidding me? He's like, Look, man, I, I I paid my dues early in my career. I was smart. I used my brain. He's like, You know, now it's time to fucking fish and kick back. Got more money than we can count. We got dudes that don't know how to count it out here trying to count it and shit. Well, I mean, now you're trying to be a businessman. You got other things going. Do you really want to stick with the old Bats nickname? He always stressed, like, don't be flashy. Keep your head down. Keep a low profile. In 1956, he made his first mistake. He bought a really big house in River Forest. It had six bathrooms, two bowling lanes, an indoor swimming pool. Wow. A pipe organ and a $10,000 onyx tub. A pipe organ. Hey, everybody, come over. No, We're hanging out. It's just a big dude party. Dude, dude, dude. We're going to go bowling. Let's going to hang out. We're going to talk about some stuff that takes up some room. God pipe damn. organ and some bowling lanes. Yeah. Man. That's some gangster <laughs> what shit. What right a mix. There. I hope they're in the same room. A pipe <laughs> organ. In a, like, so that you bowl. And the, dun, 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 dun. Somebody strikes. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> they had a special on the news a couple weeks ago, I swear. And uh, it was about a dude. He was a he was a single dude, never married, never had kids. And he had like a, a house this size. And literally three quarters of it was pipe organ. 
And I mean, like, <laughs> like the pipes, yeah, what? yeah. Three quarters? Yeah, yeah, pipes going no room kidding. to room. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was saying. Like, it, like pipe, or, big pipe organs ain't no joke because the it, command center was in one room, and there was like the whole basement was just pipes. <laughs> the command center. Yeah, and then like the bedrooms would be like this bedroom was like the low. I don't know nothing, but this the, like the low <laughs> tones came from this bedroom. <laughs> this bedroom over here, and anyway, but anyways. Pipe organs and uh and bowling alleys, that's some that's max status right there if you got that shit in your house. An indoor swimming pool. Either that or else you spent your whole life building a massive pipe organ <laughs> in your bungalow. That's crazy. But, yeah. <laughs> that's nutty. Just a house made out of pipe organs. Yeah, and I'm sure there's small ones too, but if you got a if you got a if you got a fucking bowling alley in your house, you probably got like a gangster ass pipe organ if you got a pipe organ in your house too. Hish, hish. Or, house schools. <laughs> or he's just that crazy that doesn't know what to do with that much money. Like it's almost Beverly Hillbilly style. <laughs> like that's the, the pipe organ salesman just yeah. convinced him that that was high living. Yeah. He's eating dinner at the pool table. The downside of buying a mansion is that his legal income was listed as a beer salesman. He, when he had lived in a, you know, kind of a modest, a modest little Chicago suburb house, he was kind of fine. But all of a sudden, he bought a mansion, and this guy's already had to go in front of the Senate twice, you know. And now he buys a mansion, so they're like, IRS investigates him. Yeah, I'm starts, sure there's nobody paying attention to him. Yeah. Once you go in front of the Senate a couple times, they're like, ah, just let him go. We've already checked him out a couple times. This shit doesn't compute to me, man. Senate. In front of the Senate, and they're still like, yes, beer salesman. <laughs> like, man, which beer salesman, which fucking company do you work for, bro? Like, we've got you on, uh, yeah, 13 hours yesterday. You were not selling fucking beer. But you're, oh, okay. Oh, a beer consultant? I mean, I, <laughs> nice, dude. The stones what? on this guy. Well, I mean, in all honesty, he comes in, like, yeah, he's a beer salesman. One of them probably asks, like, a beer salesman, that's your job? I plead the fifth. Like, he don't <laughs> tell them nothing. So he doesn't learn that. So I, all they have to go on is, you're right. I, he's, he's a beer salesman, I guess. Like, he they're doesn't like, say anything. Their faces are all red and shit. They're, like, sweating. They're, like, yeah. shaking. Veins are popping out. Like, okay. They How feel be- the same way as you. They're like, you're- fucking beer salesman? Nah, Wait, he's like... I, you and know, I know he said it, it was just the whole like I didn't know the beer salesman part until just now and that just yeah. added like a whole new layer of comedy to it <laughs> they're individually thinking well I drink a lot of beer I drink a lot of beer he must sell a lot of beer Yeah, he must own a mansion yeah and just of, of all jobs beer salesman that's it <laughs> I love it what he did was he decided to step down as the boss of the family and he handed it over to Sam Giancana and stayed on as the consigliere. And then Sam Giancana was running the day-to-day operations. But any big decisions, as far as like big business or murders, had to be ran through Accardo or Paul Rica first. So he stepped aside the way Putin stepped aside then one time? <laughs> He's like, what? No, I stepped aside. We're democracy now. On July 29, 1959, he was indicted on filing false tax statements. <laughs> No, but that's, once again, on taxes. That's how they're all getting caught up. Yeah. So he was found guilty in a sentence of six years. But his lawyer appealed and said that the media had portrayed him in a negative light. And that gave the juries a bad impression. And it, so they wanted a second trial. And when they went to the second trial, they had already seen all the evidence they had. So they were able to counter it. And they convinced them that he was really just a really good beer salesman, and they got the charges <laughs> thrown out. Yeah, no and found him shit. not guilty of tax evasion. If he wasn't a no beer salesman, shit. 
why does he have this plaque that says <laughs> beer salesman of the month? <laughs> Which once again explains how he got the extra money for the mansion. Beer salesman of the month, Hammond. Beer salesman of the month, Chicago. Now beer salesman of the month, Vegas. All right? He's just beer salesman you on... Uh... Keep him out of jail. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> since they went there twice, they're like, all right, now we know what they're coming with. Well, We're going to be prepared this time around. Because, see, at first he was like, they appealed the, and I was like, okay, uh, another one that's not making much sense. I mean, you paid your fucking taxes or you didn't. I don't know how you can appeal that shit. Well, they're like, well, look, we sat your fucking accountant down in ours. They agreed. You guys, your shit don't add up. They went to fucking, they went, nope, I guess that, but, but I'm with you now. Well, also, it's not that he didn't pay, it's the false statement, so now he has yeah. to prove that they weren't false. Yeah, after yeah. All. Oh, some good, that's some good lawyers, man. Unlike Ricardo, Giancana, he lived like a real high-profile lifestyle. Uh, he was dating a high-profile singer named Phyllis McGuire. They, they, Phyllis! They made a movie about him, like John Turturro played him in the movie. Someone's gonna play you, that's a good man to play you. In 1965, Sam Giancana, he got called to testify in front of a grand jury, and he refused to show up. And he got found in contempt of court and sentenced to a a year in prison. See, that's why you got to show up, go through the work, and plead the fifth. That's, I mean, that's what Tony did the whole time. You got to show up and plead the fifth. So once he got out of his year of prison, Tony Accardo and Paul Rica made him step down as the boss and go retire in Mexico to run some casinos down there. And they put, put him on mob timeout. <laughs> <laughs> they put a guy named Joey Ayupa in charge as the new boss of the Chicago outfit. He made it all the way through just because they like to say his name. <laughs> Joey Ayupa! The Manchurian uh, mob candidate. Yeah, <laughs> the Manchurian candidate. Yes. Well, I mean, it's really just no matter who's actually in charge, in charge has basically been Ricardo and Rica for a couple decades. You're right. And shit. And then in 1972, Paul Rica died. So Ricardo was just the full-time consigliere. Well, I mean, he kind of worked because Rica was still on the whole can't-talk-to-people shit. Or was that done with for a while? Yeah, so he basically just did the same thing and went into permanent retirement after that. Yeah, he got put on mob timeout. for. Yeah, so he hasn't been around for a minute. Like, he's been deep, deep in the shadows. That's like if, you know, you're an athlete, you know, you're the captain of the team and you get hurt and then backup comes in and the kid can play. Next thing you're like, he's Paul Walker from Varsity Blues. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Paul Rikas. Paul Paul Walker. It's almost the same thing, only with the, oh, it's the same as Senator Kavafawa. Yep. It's Paul Rika. Lance Harbor. He's the Lance Harbor of the fucking mafia. I, there's no way I was pulling out the name. That makes Ricardo Moxon. Oh, Vanderbeek. Ricardo's I don't want your life. <laughs> is his forehead as big? <laughs> so Sam Giancana went down to Mexico to run his little casinos, but he refused to send his money back up to the mob. And he was like, well, fuck you guys. I'm down here in Mexico. I'll just do my own thing. In 1975, Mexico kicked him out. No shit. And see, I was wondering about <laughs> that. He got kicked that. out of the Mexican party? Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, like, what he did. I mean, obviously, he went to prison for a year and shit. But, I mean, you figure it was like, well, hey, I didn't snitch. I mean, I, I got held in contempt and went and did my year. Like, I wonder, like, why he got, like, hey, uh, put on mob time out, you know. And then so then when he refused to start sending up the money, that tells me there's some maybe a little bit more behind he the story. He got a virus. They called it coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get kicked? Does it say how he got kicked out of Mexico? Well, 
well, he got caught, you know, being a criminal and he got deported. So, like, I mean, it's the same thing we do here, right? If we arrest you, if you're out doing some crime. Yeah. And then the first thing you find out, you're not even a citizen. So they're like, well, get the fuck out, dude. You're down here running an illegal mob casino. Yeah, you don't live down there in Mexico. Yeah, they they run a tight ship. They're not gonna play none of that shit. (laughs) Well, I'm sure he probably had to be being a dick or doing something. You know. Yeah, that's why I was just wondering. Probably the same thing. It's probably the same thing. He's like, I'm not sending my money up north because I can't. I'm paying everybody off. I can down here. He got kicked out of Mexico. He went back to Chicago and just tried to be back in the mob. Hey guys. <laughs> Remember when I said, if you want me, come get me. I'll wash Hi. dishes. I'll take out trash. I'll, I'll take. The, I'll work the window. I'll do the orders. I don't care, man. Just send the job you got for me. June 18, 1975, Giancana was found murdered in his basement apartment of his home in Oak Park, Illinois. He was cooking Italian sausage and squirrel. <laughs> How does it like to die as a stereotype? It's right. Like 72? 75? 1975. 75, June okay. 18, 1975. He was shot in the back of the head once and shot six times in the face. Damn. Ooh, yeah, that, I think when the mob shoots you like that, that means that they didn't like you on a personal... <laughs> no, like, those were love shots. Deep, deep down level, you know? Hey. Yeah. Well, that was like a straight, like, to the back of the head, probably. And then once he was dead, like, just for good measure, like, blah, 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 and just unload in the face. Right. The back of the head was what killed him. And then the face was the mm. message that you're talking about. Like, movie style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think there, there's a thing with the mob, like, the face, because you do, like, open casket or whatever. Like, you like can earn that at least. Like, if you got to die. Like, it was like the. Op- that's like you show up for the sit down, like, you're supposed to, and you know it's going <laughs> to suck, but you show up. Like, you at least. Yeah. You know, Come on, the, hang out as dudes, don't do stuff. <laughs> We're not going to shoot you in the back of the head. Come on. This is like the opposite of a mullet. It was business in the back, party in the front. That was... Damn, there's Joe Better with a bat in the alley. <laughs> By the late 70s, Ricardo had bought a house in California, and he only flew into Chicago for big sit-downs. Okay. So he'd come out a couple times a year for like a big sit down or a meeting or whatever. And they all said, oh, look at Mr. Fancy. <laughs> Only like, flies in for that, the big meetings. He's now eh? that, that movie mob guy that's like off somewhere. He wears like shorts every single day yeah. with high socks. And he white. comes in with his shirt like halfway unbuttoned with yep. his chest hair out. Just, hey guys, what's going on? And yeah. some loafers. <laughs> In 1978, at the age of 72, while he was in California, burglars broke into his River Forest forest home. A quote from a guy that eventually was charged with killing the people that broke into his house. He said, uh, I'd never seen the old man so enraged. So seven men in total, three suspects and four related people, were found strangled to death with their throat slit. Damn. Damn. Eventually, in 2002, there was still a couple guys that were living. There was something that was called the Family Secrets Trial. (laughs) There's <laughs> some weird Illuminati shit. There's some old ass dudes like in the secret trial. Secret. The guys that were convicted of that I think said I that this. they did it on Tony Accardo's word for breaking into his house. Like he <laughs> he got more violent over people breaking into his house than he had in most of his fucking mob life. Take yeah. him back to that Joe Batters days. I mean, I don't think it's true. I mean, he beat the death. He got death with a baseball bat. And this time he's like, you know what? I put the bat behind me. Now it's just knives and piano wire, bitches. And that's kind of always been like the only way that somebody can get at you. So like in the mob, you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's like the thing, right? That's like always the crutch. Like, well, you can have a family, but I'm going to use that mm-hmm. as leverage against you. So like, and 
and with Joey Bats, you know, he he valued his home life, obviously. So I could see why he fucking went nuts. And on top of that, that was like the ultimate sign of disrespect. You know, whether they were just mob-related robbers or just some dumbasses who picked the wrong fucking guy to, to rob, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, either he way, was, he, he, that's a line in the sand. Do yeah. not break in my motherfucking house. Damn straight. He said, yeah. not up in here. Yeah. If you don't know, One dude now gets, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I could have shot you. And from behind and then five times in the face, but instead I fucking <laughs> strangled you and slit your fucking throat, you know. You gonna breathe the Fuck devil out of me, boy? personal. I didn't use no tools. I've right. been drinking green tea all day. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you beat me to the Danny McBride. <laughs> you wanna see Joey Banners? I'll bring Joey Banners. <laughs> I'm gonna bring you Jackie Slice and Dice. The, the guy that confessed, his name was Nicholas Calabresi. Was a guy who confessed to killing seven men on Tony Accardo's word. But that was, by the time he ended up doing that, Tony Accardo was long dead because he's an old man. In 1984, he was brought in front of the Senate for a third time on a commission about labor racketeering. Just one more time for <laughs> old measure. Like, ah, oh, let's bring like him back 78 in. I like this, this guy. Point. This time he talked, but he didn't say much. He was still. He was labeled an uncooperative witness and cited for contempt, but because of his advanced age, no criminal charges were brought against him. He was like Uncle Junior from Sopranos at this point. Like, he talked a little bit, but he was just fucking with him the whole time. I've seen some video of it. He said they used to call him Joe Batters. That's what they're asking him. Either way, he still was, he wasn't cooperative enough. He liked baking cakes. Yeah, yeah they called me Joey Batters, but I don't know. It's just a silly guy. He asked them. Cause don't get me wrong, I mean he's he's had a long career, but in in the middle of it, like you ain't heard a lot of Joey Batters type stories from him. So he's like, I mean at this point he's like laughing, cause I, cause I mean think about it. At this point it's like four lifetimes away for this guy. He's like Joey Batters, yeah yeah, three dudes when I was fucking twenty. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, you know what I've done since then? Yeah, Senator, why are you bringing up old shit? So in uh, May 22nd, 1992, Tony Accardo died of uh, respiratory heart failure. They took him off of life support. And he died at the age of 86. Damn. He had an arrest record <laughs> dating back to 1922, but he'd only spent one night in jail. Damn. That's what I was saying earlier, man. Like, this guy was a professional. <laughs> Somehow he got either that or else he was mm-hmm. just the luckiest motherfucker in the world. Well, for a lot of that, too, let's not forget he was with Al Capone. He was his right-hand man, so that probably got him out of a lot of shit. And, and I mean, I get it. You know, the mob paid off. You know, law enforcement paid off and shit. But in these stories, you hear some of these dudes, they slip up or they piss off the wrong lawman and end up. So that's impressive. That's the impressive stat of the cast right there. It's my man never ended up in the clink. Yeah, that's pretty wild. He had an impressive career. Damn straight, 86. When he died, he was the last of the Capone-era gangsters. All right, so that's the story of Tony Accardo. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Kind of the new segment that we was trying to do. You see, like in this one, we talked about Teddy Rowe, which there's a Teddy Rowe episode. I think it's episode seven. You go check that out because that's a pretty good story in and of its its own. Yeah. Out of the story, if we used to cover somebody else, who do you think you want to see covered? Probably the dude that took over once he decided to step aside. What do you think, uh, Tank, Lorraine? Anybody got a... Well, Got an idea? It's hard for me to pick anybody from the story because it's almost like you know what their arc was already. Yeah. You know, Sam, like I, now I've I've heard about him 
to so I can't pick Sam. I can't pick any of the the bosses that came before, you know, Joey Bats and um See, I would I almost I mean, the three dudes that they brought in that he got the name Joey Bats from, like just a story of their trying to do the coup on Al Capone, like not necessarily I guess it wouldn't necessarily be a say hello to the bad guy, but Scalise. almost like a little <clears throat> Scalise. Yeah, it could be yeah. about the specific dude, but just that well, no, one that, thing of just that. He's the one. I, he's the name I know without looking them all three up. Like, Word. Yeah, but those guys. But just really the story of like that little coup that never happened. Yeah, it's like Valkyrie. Yeah, it's like Valkyrie the movie about the, the, plot, the, the plot that never happened. Yeah. What about uh, Jack Machine Gun? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. What's what's that dude's deal? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, machine gun. Come yeah, because what what was the last I heard of machine gun? He was in prison. He got he got taken down when uh, no, I, I can't remember what the last we heard about machine gun McGurn. Oh. Uh, well, we kind of didn't. He just kind of gave him an intro into the mob, and we kind of took off on his story. So that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of. Maybe be... he's already got that plan. Right. He's already. Yeah. He's not giving a spoiler alert for maybe a future because episode. His intro mm-hmm. into this story was he was already up top. Yeah, I guess that's that's what? pretty. That's I I my vote would be on uh, machine gun. So what? yeah, that's what I was thinking. If I was if I the rain coming through from the back suit. Nice job. Female. Female. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So we're going with Jack Machine Gun McGurn. Boop boop. All right. Now casting him in a movie. I'll get the pictures. It's kind of almost impossible to pick a guy because his story starts at 20 and he goes to 84 so you'd have to cast a whole crew of people but before we show the pictures uh does anybody here have any like ideas there's two guys i'm thinking of they're more modern but it's like leo dicaprio wait a minute leo leonardo dicaprio leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt because they both started when they were young and they're still in it you could play that guy like you de-age them down and shit yeah 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 anyone from uh once upon a time in hollywood shut your mouth (laughs) well yeah they're they're very good actors no that's a good call i was thinking of someone like because even though, like you said, the pictures are going to be a lot of young ones. Like, you might have to have a young one in the beginning, him meeting Al Capone and being the bodyguard. But a lot of his shit seems to be when he was an older family man. Like, so a middle-aged guy is probably the perfect bet, like, right in the middle. Right. Maybe a young one for a part of the movie. Adopting all those kids, Brad Pitt. <laughs> when real life they throw it on screen yeah i don't know i need a minute to but no i'm i'm with you on i think you definitely got to go the way to go would be middle age and then because you can do the makeup to kind of age them up or age them down but the bulk of the story is going to be kind of right around there Who do you, you got you got anything in mind oh did you guys already i don't know i mean when i when you say sicilian for some reason it makes yeah. me think like the darker side yeah. of of italy the darker skin complexion side of italy um so it makes me want to pick somebody like. Ooh, not to cut you up, but, uh, but do you got somebody? Yeah. Oh, who do you got? <laughs> no, because I. Well, that would be cutting head. them off. Sure. It makes me. <laughs> yeah, it makes you me had up. your turn, damn it. Get back back to the end of the well, line. I'm not sure if he was just still sort of rambling around. Whatever. Well, it makes me it makes me want to pick somebody with darker skin tone, but and like you said, like An olive skinned Italian. Yeah, and and and. <laughs> it, 
And when you said like all the pictures that you got from our older age, for some reason I just think of like an older actor and I think of Cheech Marin. (laughs) (laughs) And he was so laid back in a family man. (laughs) Only for the, like, like he moved out to Stardust, you know, he moved out to Vegas. He's he's, he's running the Stardust already. Hey, $5 rooms. Yeah. You take care of that. I'll get these machines. (laughs) Might be too. That's, that's who I was thinking (laughs) of. In my mind, I know. Olive skin Sicilian went Mexican. Real quick. I know. I know. I well, it's funny. Like as as we were talking about the story, like when you start off the story, he sounds like a like a Tony Soprano type where you're pitching, but then most of the story he turns more into Uncle Junior for like most yeah. of the story. But here we go. There's some pictures. So this is the youngest picture we have of him. They're kind of hard to find. This is a younger picture of him too, actually. Who, Dom Irera? <laughs> Dom Irera. Well, I was way off. I was thinking about uh, the Red Viper, the Mandalorian. The, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, what's I that guy's name? name? I usually know his Shit. name, too, and I can't think of it right now, and I feel horrible because he's a great actor. Yeah, he is. I, I was thinking um, Robert De Niro when I seen the picture. Yeah, but now when I look at the picture, I got... Bobby! He, do, he looks like a beer salesman. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Pedro Pascal. Yeah, Pedro, Pedro Pascal. Pascal. That one on the left there, that's got to be, that's the color what? picture. That's got to be the one where he was taken in in his late 70s or whatever, yeah. questioning. Because it looks like there's either a dude on his that is on his left-hand side that is either somebody who's like, you know, walking him towards a, a, a building or an entrance or something, or maybe a law enforcement Ooh, agency. I know who the, uh, I don't know, cause you didn't watch Breaking Bad. I don't know if you ever did, but the dude that played Mike on Breaking Bad, the old man. There you go. Like later years. Yeah. He looks like Net-tie. the dad from a Christmas story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to say he's one of those guys, like every picture looks a little different. Yeah, it is. Like he's able to get pretty old in the mafia. And that's pretty impressive. That is. Sure. He's one of the only guys to have held every single position in the mafia. Nice. Jonathan Banks is the guy. Jonathan Banks? Yeah. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. The standard DEFCON scale is five to one. But on the bad guy scale, nobody's a good guy. So five is Lee Murray, who's like your average crack dealing, kidnapping, bank robber. And then on one, you got the Purple Gang, who's done multiple massacres and gang wars, and they're killing cops on the street. So on the scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang... Where would you rate Tony Ocardo? I'm giving him a three. What? What? You seem shocked by that. Uh, if I, if you want, I'll explain a little bit. Okay. Like the kill, the kill was. rate wasn't high. He, I mean, he had a badass career. I mean, you want to give him, I mean, like a, on the scale, like a dude being a badass motherfucker, being able to have a 70 year mob career. Yeah. I want to give him a one. But like, when I think of like a bad guy, I'm thinking of like, you know, how ruthless he was. How many people he had to whack throughout his life? Why he had to whack? I'm so I'm giving I'm giving him a three because he had he didn't have to personally get his hands dirty on a lot of shit. He he didn't seem to want to just his ways that he wanted to run his crime. He didn't want to just do it at any means necessary. So I, mean, I think those guys are reserved for the twos and the ones, the guys who are killing people for no reason and they like it and shit. He seemed to be more about the he wanted to make the money. He wanted to make it easy and not he didn't want to definitely damn didn't want to spend no time in jail so anyways three for me what do you think so am i thinking opposite because i was thinking one but i have to give him a two because he killed the three guys in the with the bat is that wrong is five the worst or one 
Five is the nicest. One is the worst. Okay, so then I want to give him a five, but I'm going to give him a four because the three guys with the bat. Where gotcha. did Big Tuna come in? Because he liked to fish, and one time he caught a big a fish. That's it? And he, yes. That's it? That's the only reason. And it became a regular nickname. Did he let it go, or did he keep it? Okay. He probably kept it. It was a Big Tuna. Probably hung it <laughs> on his wall or some shit, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I would think. That's why you go catch those big tunas. So yeah. I'm going with four only because the three guys with the bat. But other than that, I think he was, I mean, he adopted kids. Like three yeah. of them. That was a good guy. When you're a boss of a mafia, though. You're just a business. You've, you're given the orders. Business. So even if you don't, like, if you weren't taking, the, I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing. I, I guess I am, but <laughs> uh, I'm just saying that's why, you know, that's why I felt good on the three. Because, I mean, he's a mob, he's a mafia boss. So even if he's not doing it personally, I mean, the one picture I'm looking at right now is looking like, I fucking don't want to kill somebody, <laughs> but I'll tell somebody else to kill him. Wait, but he already you know. saved a life. I know. Remember? Saved what life? Al Capone. Oh, yeah. He jumped on top of him like a bulletproof vest. Okay, he saved so a life. Al that that negative, part Negative 43 to negative 42 on the life's own count. of murder. All right. What do you think? Well, all right. First off... I'm gonna I'm gonna shake the system up. Oh, well, the course. way we all vote is their level, but we usually do it in terms of who's the most violent or whatever. Like that's the way I've done it too. But also, when you think of actual bad guy, like this guy was expert at being a criminal. Like that was a sh- like. Mm-hmm. So it all depends. If you're thinking successful at being a bad guy. He was definitely up there like a one, but in terms of the scale of like murderous, like just killer, yeah, he would be a four or something. I mean, it's sort of weird because you got to be up there to beat a guy with a bat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's no way he could be a five, but a four seems too low too. So I think like he wasn't violent, but when it came to being a bad guy and just... I mean, because he did just overtake people's business. He was involved in shooting the projectionist guy. And when it comes to criminality, he was definitely good at it. But since he wasn't, he's almost a businessman, but his yeah. business was my business. And yeah. He, lear- he learned not what to do from the top guys and learned yeah. what to do just from experience. Yeah, it's almost like if he wasn't so indifferent as a young lad, he may have been something else. But uh, no, I'm going to go three because he was sort of middle road. He did mob shit. He said, hey, nice scam. We want that scam. And that was a shame. But he was just real good at it. He laid low and everything. But yeah, I, I agree with uh, with Tank. I guess uh, middle of the road three is pretty good just because his lack of violence. Well, what I was thinking, okay. So if you really think body count, because like you said, there was the projectionist guy. Then you got three guys with a bat, which is a pretty gruesome one. And then there was the lady in the, you know, that got in the burning building. I mean, if that's you, that's pretty gross. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, it's a tough one. But, but so I think body count wise, he could be there. But I think, see, this is why I do mine different is because I'll also divide that out by number of years. And a lot of times these guys are like at it for two to ten years or something. You're, you're down with yeah. the the annual gross, right? <laughs> so yeah, he's got a body count, but you stretch that out over a fucking a sixty year mob career. That's not bad. What are we talking? A a point six eight people a year? Yeah. 
That's that's barely a killer, man. It's barely a killer. But I mean, you've definitely got something in you to be able to fucking just beat a guy with a bat. Like the fact that you dropped out of school in sixth grade and started that lifestyle. Well, and shot the guy in the face and everything. You had to drop out of school and still not beat people to death with a bat. Nope, nope, it's never happened. (laughs) We only get an education, or next thing you know, you're just beating people with bats. It's crazy. This is the first kid ever. Yeah. That's why we need stronger He's, bat control. He dropped out of school and started working at Trader Joe's. Like, <laughs> well, so I, I I go with a three. I'd say a three. Right. My bad. Yeah, I'll go with a three because, okay, Aww. you can't go. I think he's a decent dude, right? It seems like. I don't know. He's killed a bunch of people. He would have the body count of a one if he'd crammed it into a short amount of time but you stretch it out between a long career there, there's there's guys that did a lot more murdering and but i think I mean, he, he did rake up some good rookie numbers yes exactly so yeah i'll go with a three because i'll stand, I'll stand with four all on my own well yeah but we're going majority three because it's three to one but i'm the only female so <laughs> and so since you're a female i think your vote only even counts for 70 percent yeah all right, so we'll call him a DEFCON 3. Zach, this is Crystal Palace. Sink Norad has declared DEFCON 3. Scramble all alert aircraft. I repeat, scramble all alert aircraft. So now we're going to read some of our rating reviews. Five-star ratings with reviews. So if you go to Apple iTunes and give us a review, we'll read it on the podcast. Or you can send us an email at say hello to the bad guy podcast at gmail.com. Whether it's a comment or correction, recommendation, whatever, just shoot us an email. I'm sending an email that says he's three. So you agree <laughs> with us. The first review we're going to read is from L.A. Hipster. It says, didn't know how much I needed, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> but it says love the show episode four was great and i found myself being super intrigued by the description and history of tommy patera tommy karate that was that yeah. was a duke episode that was hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a good that, one that was i, like that I, I think that's still one of my favorite episodes yeah. in the in the young career of the show that's one of my favorites so far and yeah. that was my first and only one with uh cancer yeah that's that's one of our best ones and that was pretty early on too yeah, that was pretty I good. I listened at work listen and I had to apologize episode. to the girls in the other cubicle that I was laughing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we shoot for. Intriguing and LOLs. Literal. Yep. L-L-O-Ls. Is there anything else in life than intrigue and LOL? <laughs> <laughs> intrigue and LOL. The life and times of the Duke. The next, boom, re- boom. The next review is from Spumani Jones, New York. Nice. It says, my kind of history lesson. These guys know their stuff. Historically accurate, but still wrap the information around a reverent discussion of beer and social commentary. The go-to podcast for fans of gangsters. What? Nice. Should have put on my reading glasses, man. Congratulations. See, now you can start off by saying this is a historical podcast because I am a historian. (laughs) Cause I got on these glasses. Dinosaur. <laughs> this is this is me turning into Tony Accardo before your eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the last one we got today is from M M Pisa, and it says, "Great listening, best history lesson ever. This guy is hilarious." Wow. Which one, so, me um, or you? That's got to be. Well, for sure, that's not me. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely you. Yeah. That's. 
the one thing I don't bring to the table. What well, about, not even one. That's a bunch of. <laughs> well, one of a bunch of things is not hilarious. So I wonder which one they are listening to. Well, I love that all those five stars are really for you because they keep on talking about how historically accurate you are and how much they want to learn. The last one's just a mystery compliment for someone <laughs> right? that we don't know. It's like a it's like a secret everyone. Valentine. This guy. <laughs> yes, I am <laughs> funny. I'll never tell. I listened to one of these episodes and one guy's funny. Dun dun dun. Yeah. All right, so that's it. Uh, anybody got any? You guys got anything before we go? Nothing much. I mean, it was another good tale of a mobster, and uh, yeah, that was about it. I dug it. Learned me something. There's another cool-ass tale. Chicago is one of those cities, man, that's got a big uh, organized crime past. And, uh, man, just another layer to it, I guess. Just like you said, I mean, tough I mean, tough Teddy's still my boy, but um, <laughs> Joey Bats, that was a, that was a good story, man. And, and just the sheer length of his career, it was it was an awesome um, episode to, to be a part of. You got anything, Lorraine? I agree. Like, Chicago is cool, and I've been there. There was a guy in a dark alley that died. I've been by his. Johnny Dillinger? Yes. Died in an alley. Then. <laughs> Took a That's picture the guy. of his face in this scary alley. But how was it with the girl on your podcast? Brought some, I brought cool. some, some new stuff to the table. <laughs> yeah, damn. Are we I, gonna do it again? I wasn't. I, yeah, no. I, I thought it was cool and uh, I enjoyed it. It was a heavily contested DefCon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well fought, though. I get, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I think he was. Huh? Cool because he adopted kids. Well, that's, what's fucked up is we're arguing over it between a three and a four. It's not even like we're way right. off. Like we're having a one a one spot difference. No, so goddamn it, that's like, ridiculous. I like four. I'd have him on this podcast. <laughs> I'm in sales. He's real good at sales. I'm all about him. Beer sales. Best beer, beer salesman, salesman ever. I like beer. That'd be our first shirt. Uh. uh Tony Accardo, beer salesman of the year shirt. <laughs> Back when there was four beers, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hashtag will you marry me? Hashtag will you marry me? All right. Well, that's welcome. That's say hello to the bad guy. I, can't, I don't even know the name of the show. <laughs> this is say hello to the bad guy. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye, <laughs> 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 Mars. <laughs> Hello to the bad guy. bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead Spent my birthdays in the trap, we had to work with what we had She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam And, and I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands A hundred jugs, a hundred scams, ay, ay. So I don't money gram the hundred hams Said I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge, I'm blowing crud for my mental ay, ay. And I still keep it on me, run into your big homie First you meet your dead homie, ay. yeah Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. The good guy coming last place you Smell that dope when I pass by I like my money at a fast pace Say hello to the bad guy Smell the dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast
got a fast pace, look like I drag race Got your re up in my eyes, right? I'm in my bag hey, Good girl, bad face, little waist and her ass fake hey, Yeah, she in love with the bad guy hey, But bad bitches never act right hey, She act up into that bag fly Get a turn around at one night Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. I smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. I smell the dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace.